Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus who was passing through, but he was a short man and could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I had cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you, Perry, and all of our readers and our campuses. Uh, the story is probably familiar to a lot of you. you. Probably heard the songs. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Uh, this story is actually incredibly provocative, and has layers and layers and layers and layers. And that's what I want us to look at um, today as we continue our series called "This Sunday." Before um, I do, uh, you probably noticed my. Um, attire. Uh, today, um, I am wearing uh, the Port City Kids official attire for Port City to remind me, to remind you uh, to get involved and volunteer, right? Is that good? To be a part of what's going on. Carson just mentioned here about all those things you got on our kids, and there's tons of opportunities uh, for you to be a part uh, of it. And I, I, it's, it's, uh, every week we hear stories um, about you know, families and kids and what's happening and, and just the efforts that our staff and some of our volunteers make. We would love to invite you to be a part of that. And you can talk to anyone on our Connect uh, team, uh, anyone really around here with one of these uh, t- uh, sweatshirts on, and we would love to help you uh, get connected. Um, so the other thing, I'm just kind of putting this off, I'm t- delaying. I need to congratulate my Carolina fans. There aren't many times I don't want to come to church. <clears throat> Today was one of them. And part of it was because I did not want to see all that blue um, out there. But congratulations, great game. Good luck in the final. 
That's sincere. <laughs> Zacchaeus, we're preparing for Easter. <clears throat> we're preparing for Easter. That is sincere. I've already congratulated some of my friends. Because you know the pictures that go in your head when, when they're, you know they're about to lose, you're like, oh my gosh, this person is never gonna shut up about, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? You know, if you're a Carolina fan, you were thinking the same way about Duke fans. Some of you, and here's the thing, if, if Duke would have won last night, you wouldn't have come today. <laughs> Just kidding. Zacchaeus. So, so what's interesting, what, what you have to do What's what we've done, and it's not, it's not wrong or bad, it's just how things have occurred over the course of our lives, especially if you grew up in the church and you've learned to read the Bible in these little chunks, little stories that are kind of here and there and you don't really see how they fit. So when you read something like Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is this man who can't see over the crowds, so he hides in a tree, climbs in a tree to see Jesus. And when Jesus shows up at his house, um, we just kind of think it's like he dropped in on him and then Zacchaeus' response, so he's gonna give all of his possessions to the poor and pay back four times what he's cheated. We start overlaying, well, this is what I should do, or this is how this should, or this is what Jesus, and we, have, we, we lose perspective because something is happening specifically in the Gospel of Luke. What we're doing is we're using one story or one encounter from each of the four Gospels to give you kind of a picture of not only the Gospel, but of really preparing us for Easter, for what Jesus had come um, to do. And so this banner that we're kind of flying over these four weeks heading into Easter is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. And it says this, for Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And this big idea that we're kind of placing over this is that an encounter with Jesus Christ changes us and it changes the world around us. That an encounter with Christ, when you see him, when you encounter him, whether it's in a service like this or a song or in your car or on the beach or while you're reading scripture or some other way, which you kind of sense him, there's a thing that happens that begins to shape us and change us. And in your own change and your own formation, it has impact and bearing on the world. We spent a lot of time talking about this over the last few years. And our, our, the vision that we have uh, the vision statement we use is to, to establish these sort of three components, this life with God. And I've done a lot of talking about this. I'm not gonna deep dive. I just wanna show you how this connects. Life with God together for the world. And, and these, these components, all of them are, are essential to how we believe and understand our role together as our church is this church, this church, our church. Um, we, we often use big sweeping statements and I, I, I listen, I get it, I, I'm, I'm on Twitter and it, there's all these stuff about the church and all the problems with the church. <clears throat> and listen, there are lots of problems with the church. There are lots of problems with our church. You know why? Because there's people here. 
and you have Duke fans and Carolina fans <laughs> who are supposed to try to live in some kind of harmony with one another for some kind of purpose. Well, you realize there's only one thing that's going to unify us and shape us in such a way that it actually becomes possible. The church has long believed that it's the right politics or the right beliefs about the right issues. And this is both on the left and the right. And we think if we could just talk people or convince people in, then, and there is only one way in which this is ever going to occur. And it is in and as we submit ourselves to Jesus, his lordship, his intention and his redemptive promise for your life, for my life. This is what this is so that together, right? It's just a natural influence on the world around us. So this is what we're talking about. This is, this is what, I, what I mean. The foundation, sort of these foundational pillars, if you will, that we're gonna be using over the next four weeks. The first one we learned last week from the baptism story of Jesus recorded in Mark, which talks about family. And in Christ, we are compelled as those who are approved and as those who belong. Something has already happened to us. Jesus has done that for us that he has now called us new creatures. Remember this, and that separation begins to be restored and replaced as we live as new creatures, bringing about this new creation. And that's part of what uh, happens uh, in this. If you weren't here, you may wanna go and uh, watch that, listen to that. I think it'll be helpful in where we're going. And when I began to think about this, and this is where we, we talk about this, there are lots of reasons why people don't participate in this. You know this, right? There are lots of barriers, lots of boundaries, lots of reasons. For some, right, it's, it's the, uh, I'm just gonna try to put this down, but for some of you, what keeps you from Jesus is it some particular label that you use or you have, and so it creates this, this barrier to Jesus. For some, it's the dogma. It's, do I have to believe this in order to, find Jesus? Do I have to, you know, to give up something? Do I have to, to, to uh, believe certain things? It's, sometimes it's the opinions of others, right? Sometimes it's just the opinions of people that you know, and, and those things keep you from Jesus. And what we end up doing is we end up trying to convince people of all these things. For some of you, it's your experiences. It's the things that you've encountered with, for some people, it's with other Christians. It's with the representation of the church. And so you can't get past that. And so we all stand out here and we're trying to get to Jesus through all of these things. And what you'll find, and we're gonna look at this in the gospel of Jesus, is what Jesus does, how he acts, and how he responds to people who are separated, to people who don't belong and people who don't fit. And this is as challenging to me um, as it is to you. So if you email me and tell me you're offended, I'm gonna say, amen, me too. 
Jesus tends to do that. This famous encounter of Zacchaeus. In order to understand Zacchaeus, you have to understand or at least consider what Luke is doing. Luke's gospel is written very differently than the others because Luke was one of the only Gentile to write. So Luke was an outsider. He was a compadre of Paul. So he ran around with Paul and he heard Paul talk and he heard a lot of, he knew he was there at firsthand account of all the chaos that emerged out of Jerusalem into Rome. And he was probably from a, uh, they think it was from Philippi, which is up in the, uh, the Northern part. So he, he, was, he was familiar, he was believed to be a physician. So he had means. He was hired probably by a guy named Theophilus, another wealthy person to record the events that occurred in this era. That's how your Luke begins. I've tried to create an orderly account at the uh, request of Theophilus. Both Luke and Acts both begin that way. So it's kind of part one and part two of Luke's gospel. And what you'll notice is that Luke has a particular emphasis, just as Mark had a particular emphasis Matthew has a particular emphasis to the Jews, to the Jewish people. You'll see a lot of prophecies and fulfillment of prophecies in Matthew's gospel. He was writing to a Jewish audience. Luke has an emphasis as well, and his seems to be about the tension between power and oppressed. And this isn't just Mike reading the news and going, oh, we gotta be on this kind of cool train to talk about oppression. That's not what this is. I'm trying to, trying to, I spent a lot of time going back through this and just reading Luke over and over and over again. Interesting enough, Luke's the gospel that records people climbing on the roof to lower someone, to bring someone into the presence of Jesus. They go straight to Jesus. They don't go through any of the other boundaries. They go straight to Jesus. It's just kind of, to me, it's a metaphor. It's kind of a picture of this. And Luke describes this kind of tension between the powerful and their tendency to protect and hold power. Um, it seems at times that Luke is condemning the rich, but I don't think he is. Luke perhaps is probably wealthy. But what he is doing is he's warning us of the power that wealth has, and all of us know this. That's why you have a lottery list, right? If I win the lottery then, I wouldn't blah, 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 or I would blah, 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 blah. And what you're saying is if I won the lottery, I wouldn't have to trust in anything else. You know, I'm saying we have this because we know the power that wealth has and avails to us. And so he creates this tension not to condemn, but rather to remind us. And then you see the way he talks about Jesus's interactions with people. He pushes in this really, really hard. What you'll find in the culture that Luke is writing in and writing to is there are clear lines as to how people participate in society. Clear lines. And these lines end up defining the way in which people see one another and are seen by one another and also stay separated from one another. Does it sound familiar to anybody? The systems that were designed or that are created for inclusion are based on and defined by the way people are excluded from participating. And you create all kinds of categories and labels, Pharisees, tax collectors, 
sinners, Romans, and all the rest. And you'll see Luke writes about this over and over and over and over and over again. And what we're gonna find, the second foundation we're gonna build on today that is in Christ, we are compelled to pursue and to include. Most of us in Christ are compelled to argue and to prove, to make sure they know, make sure they understand, to try to win them by an argument. And Jesus just models something very differently. Now, <clears throat> I wanna be very clear because I'm not, I'm not talking about some kind of, can't we all just you know, get along and your Jesus means something to you and your Jesus and your truth. And your, it is not that at all. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, your truth will set you free. He said, the truth will set you free. And that truth isn't a bunch of facts and information. That truth is him. We've got to get a, a category to see this. And when we talk about this as a church, and you're going to be hearing more about this as a church, that there are two essential things that if you're going to come to Jesus, you can't just come to him and go, oh, he's cool with my opinions. He's cool with my experience. He's cool with my label. He's cool with my dogma. You can't do that. It means that in our struggle, when you're wrestling with things, and you should wrestle, you should wrestle with God. You should wrestle with what he says and what you believe about what he says. There should be an, a, a level of offense and tension and wrestling as you try to figure out, Lord, how are you calling me to live in this world, in this culture? And you struggle towards Jesus. You always struggle towards him, always towards him. And then I add sort of in parentheses, and his Lordship. A lot of us like to struggle towards Jesus and his acceptance of us or that he's cool with you or he loves you. Those are all good things. But he came to demonstrate his love because he is the Lord of all. So you, 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 can't, you can't mistake this. You can't underestimate this. The second thing is that when we struggle towards Jesus, and I don't mean this in any hierarchy way, I just, this is just the way the board's set up, but we struggle towards community. When you struggle as a part of our church, and listen, please hear me say, I, I wanna be really careful. I'm not trying to get you to, to belong to our church. I want you to, I believe that God is doing something here. This is not a ploy to keep you here, but it is, a, it is to tell you what I observe is most people, when they start struggling, they pull away from community. They pull away from it. They go find people who agree with them and think like they do. And you don't grow or change. You just continue the same separation that plagues our world already. You just participate in the same system that already exists. So you struggle towards community and our unity. At some level, there has to be a submissiveness to Jesus and to the community that he's called us into in order for us to represent and do what it is that he has called us to do. One more observation before we talk about Zacchaeus. Christianity, the way of Jesus, entered into a world that already existed. 
That's no big deal, is it? I want to put this on the screen, take a picture of it, think about it, consider it. The kingdom of God and the way of Jesus enters into and emerges within a context that already exists. This is really important. This is really important because it means that the culture in which we live in did not come from the way of Jesus, but rather the way of Jesus is brought to bear on the culture around us. The reversal of this assumption provides us a way to understand the mess and the messiness of living our lives under the Lordship of Jesus together as his church and to recognize that we are actually the outside force coming into a world that already exists. Do you see how different that is? Because if you think we were here first, then we're entitled to what has always been. But if you recognize we are coming into something, you realize there are existing patterns, existing thoughts, existing existing stereotypes. All these things already exist. So this is where Zacchaeus shows up. Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming. Now Zacchaeus is a tax collector, right? Which means he's, he's, it says he's wealthy, he's wealthy. He's got money. Zacchaeus was a tax collector in Jerusalem. What tax collectors were is they were basically um, kind of like the, the combination of IRS agents and corrupt politicians all in the same kind of deal. Because what they did is they basically sold out, their, they were Jews, they sold out their Jewish heritage to collect taxes for Rome. And so they took money from their fellow Jewish uh, family and then gave it to the Roman government. That's how they made money. They made lots of money doing this. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he had lots of people working for him, extorting people. They were despised. So, so in this, Zacchaeus is, is obviously, he said he can't see over the crowd. He goes high, uh, in a tree. Uh, Jesus is coming by. Jesus calls him by name. There's a host of things. But as I began to think about this, I thought, what did Zacchaeus know? Because this isn't a giant region. They didn't have Twitter or Instagram, but this isn't a giant region. Do you think that Zacchaeus had any context to know about Jesus? Of course he did. How do we know that? Because he heard he was coming. He wanted to go see him. So we know that Zacchaeus knew something about him. The question is, what did he know? What did he know? What did Zacchaeus think about Jesus? Well, you'll notice in Luke, and this begins in chapter six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But in, and I'm, I'm going to oversimplify this because I only have a few minutes. But in chapter twelve, Jesus, uh, Luke records Jesus telling the story of a rich fool, and he says, "This fool has so much money. He says, oh, what shall ever I do with all my wealth? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. I'll store it up." And God comes to him in the night and says, "You fool." What is gonna to happen to you when you die? And he takes his life and his money is left and he's just a rich fool. Um, if you keep reading, uh, you'll notice that Jesus talks about, uh, let's see, what's the next one? The parable. Oh, then in that same place, he says, you should not worry um, because tomorrow has enough trouble. So do not be anxious. Then he says this, do not be afraid to give what you have away. In fact, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. So Jesus taught this in this context of trusting God's provision. He goes on in verse 14 or 13, uh, you see um, these, these 
competing banquets. One is these wealthy, powerful people have banquets and they all clamor to get to the head of the table to sit next to the influencers, the movers and the shakers. He says, oh, but there's another kingdom, another banquet going on. And you got into the highways and the byways to the least of these and where people are least likely to be invited and you compel them to come. And there's these two kind of banquets that are mentioned. You keep going and Jesus talks in verse, uh, chapter 16 about the parable of the dishonest money manager, this guy. And it's just, it's fascinating when you start to look at this, the dishonest money manager. Um, the next section, he talks about um, a rich man and poor man Lazarus. Some of you have heard this story. This is the one that's often used to talk about hell. It is about that, but it's about much more than that. There's a rich man and there's a poor man named Lazarus and Lazarus begs outside of the rich man's gate every day. And the rich man walks past him every single day. And at the end, both of them, this parable goes that they both die. One is escorted to Abraham's bosom, the other to a place called Hades, the realm of the dead. And in that moment, it's interesting because Jesus tells us very specifically, the rich man, the person who would have been the mover and the shaker has no name, but the one who would have been overlooked and not thought of at all has a name, his name is Lazarus. In the exchange, the way Jesus tells this parable, when Lazarus actually addresses, wants someone to come and give him relief from this place where he is, it's called Abraham's bosom in the, in the text. He doesn't even say to the poor man, he doesn't even call Lazarus, he says, hey Abraham, can you tell that guy to dip his finger in the water and come and cool my tongue? It's this, it's this, Jesus is going, you're missing this. If you aren't careful, you're gonna miss this. So you have that. Then you have, coming up very shortly after that, the rich young ruler. A man comes up and says, how can I inherit a kingdom of God? Or how can I inherit eternal life? Is actually what he says. And Jesus said, keep all the commandments. And the guy says, well, I've done all that. He says, well, one thing you still lack. One thing you still lack. You know what he says? Go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and come and follow me. It sounds like one thing, but it's, or it sounds like two things, but it's one. My question is, not to talk about his parables, do you think Lazarus, I mean, do you think that Zacchaeus would have heard that or known that? Do you think that someone would have come and said, hey man, Jesus has been teaching about this parable of Lazarus and this rich man, and Jesus has been talking about this dishonest money manager, Jesus has been talking about the, the Pharisees and the tax collectors, Jesus has been, hey, he's, he talked about giving your possessions to the poor, guy came up to him with a lot of money, said, hey, go your, sell your possessions and come follow me. Do you think Zacchaeus heard that? And so perhaps he did. So if, if he did, Supposing he has some context, then this explains, or at least reveals to us, gives us a lot of insight into what actually happens in this story. What you notice is that Zacchaeus gets in this tree and as Jesus comes by, what does Jesus do when he sees him? He calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. For I'm going to your house today. Interestingly enough, in Luke's account, this is the last encounter that Jesus has with anybody before his journey to the cross. And he gives a tax collector an identity. He gives him a name. Tax collectors and sinners were labels. They were categories of people. 
There were categories of people that allowed people who were in to keep them out unless they did certain things, that they were considered unclean by the Pharisees. They did not belong in the temple. So they were Jewish people who could not come to the temple. They were Roman uh, uh, colluding with the Romans and they really weren't thought well of by the Romans other than the money that they brought into uh, the pockets of the, of the rich, of the powerful. So you have all this going on. So the Pharisees, interestingly enough, both colluded with Rome. Pharisees and tax collectors both colluded with Rome. The Pharisees just figured out a way to make it biblical. It was old covenant, but that's what they did. They made this themselves a way where God was cool with their collusion with Rome and allowed them to sort of define the rules and keep everybody else out. And these tax collectors and sinners were called unclean. And what you find in Luke's gospel is that Jesus was always with these kinds of people. What you also find in this story is that as soon as Jesus says, I'm going to your house today, Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. And what did the Pharisees do? They grumble. Why? Because he has gone to meet with sinners. You, this, this, you have to sort of enter into this, this, this way of thinking so that we don't think that Jesus is just like, oh, whatever, whatever happens, happens, whatever is cool. That's not what he's doing here. Jesus knows something about himself and about what is happening. And what I think we see here is that you know that Jesus constructs his parables to give value to those that he names and to create sort of a tension in that. I have also tried to develop this tension or this discipline in my own life. It started back, and if you remember the, the racial tension in our country, one of, the, one of the, the mantras is, say their name, say their name, say their name, say their name. Because what I find sometimes is issues I don't care about or they don't affect me directly. I don't really pay that. I don't personalize it. They just stay as labels or issues or opinions or something. They just stay in that place. And I've tried to discipline myself to say a name, even people that I don't agree with, right? Even people that I would normally despise. Caleb Love has a name. He plays for Carolina. <laughs> Malik, Hubert Davis, right? All these guys, they have names. You know what it does? It keeps me from hating them so badly. <laughs> just, I'm just, I, but it's true. <laughs> if they're just those Tar Heels, then you can like, you can objectify them and demonize them and destroy them. If they're just tax collectors or sinners or Democrats or Republicans or this or that, you can objectify them. But if they get a name, now it's personal, which is if you like to be right and you like to lord over people, that's a problem. You get a name and you get a story. I've been saying this for years, get a name and get a story. This is what Jesus modeled. He said, Zacchaeus, come down from here. It humanizes them and allows us, allows us, if we're gonna learn to love like Jesus, allows us to see other people. The other thing that's interesting about this story, I'll try to get here uh, pretty quick. But Zacchaeus' response, when, when Jesus comes to him, he says, Lord, which is a big deal. To say Lord 
if you were in collusion with the Roman government was to say, Jesus is Lord, therefore Caesar is not, which can get you in big trouble. This is a big deal, Lord. And then he makes this, hey, Lord, I'll give all my possessions, half my possessions to the poor. It's only half, right? I'll give half my possessions to the poor. I'll pay back four times what I've cheated. And Zacchaeus comes to this sort of conclusion because of an encounter with Jesus. Zacchaeus had experiences. He had opinions. He had all these things. He had reasons to keep him away from this. And he comes to Jesus and his response to him is, Lord, I, I'm going to, whatever I have, whatever I can do, I just, I, I, everything is going to shift because of you. Everything is going to change because of you. Interestingly enough, you know what Zacchaeus actually means? Zacchaeus is a tax collector, forever thought of as unclean. You know what his name actually literally means? It means clean. Clean. Jesus looks at him and he calls him by his name. You, Zacchaeus, are clean. When he calls him by name, he's saying, Zacchaeus, you're not a cheat and you're not a con. But those things are a corruption of your true identity. Have you ever thought about this in your own life, in the lives of others? They're all the kind of things, these things that seep into the space of separation that sin creates. When you aren't connected, when you aren't walking with him, what seeps into your life? What seeps into those spaces? He goes from being a tax collector to being Zacchaeus. Jesus sees something in him and says, these are things that have corrupted who you really are. Now be mindful, Zacchaeus is not innocent. Zacchaeus had done his share of terrible things. And what happens when we sort of start to go back down that road, we then again keep and use these things to keep people separated from, right, from us, from me or whatever. And what Jesus did is Jesus went into his house. He crashed his party. And guess what? Just like Christianity emerged in a world that already had patterns and already had a context established, Jesus entered into Zacchaeus's world and he already had patterns and he already had thoughts and he already had habits, and he already had, so Jesus comes, and he did the same thing for me and the same thing for you. I assume that when Jesus came into your life, he didn't make you perfect just like that. You still had patterns and habits and thoughts that you've held on to for a long time, and sometimes those things continue for a long time post-Christ. Am I the only one who's had that? Sometimes it takes time because he comes into our lives and we already have an existing view of existing habits, existing thought patterns. And it's in our walk with God, our encountering Him that begins to shape this. And what's interesting is that the reason it was so scandalous is because Jesus didn't make Him do anything in order to come to Him. He didn't have to confess. He didn't have to give back anything. He didn't have to renounce His tax collector label. You know what Jesus knew that I think a lot of us have forgotten? If you get to Jesus, everything else 
begins to change. Do you know why his lordship is so important? Because most of us come to Jesus and we find places in the Bible where he agrees with our opinions or our dogma or our labels or whatever, where he agrees with those things. We say, oh yeah, see, and then we think that's the truth. We think some fact that we learned about him that we can use to continue this kind of madness. is what he's doing, he's not. No, you come to him, all of these things are gonna change. All of them are gonna change. He is Lord. I wrote in my notes that Jesus, we keep you know, drawing lines to justify keeping people at a distance and Jesus just always seems to erase them. And I've, I've shared with you before, but that the biggest fear for me was to, like, to be thought of as liberal, just a confession. And so I wrote down, just kind of quipping in my journal, I was like, this isn't because Jesus is liberal, it's because he's Lord. He actually knows something that happens in his presence that nothing else does. So the goal for us isn't to try to get convinced, the goal for us is to get people here and to struggle towards his lordship towards giving him authority over every part of your life, every thought, everything that you look at, every desire you have, every affection you have, to give him lordship over those things. This doesn't happen because this happens in a moment, every moment over time. Jesus just crashed right into his party. And it's pretty easy to think that maybe what Jesus valued was that Zacchaeus gave all of his possessions away. And my question is, when did Jesus make another law for people to follow? He never did that. In fact, look at what Jesus says. This is in chapter Luke 19, verse nine and 10. It says this. When Zacchaeus calls him Lord and says, how do this? This is what Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus says. Today, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He belongs for the Son of Man did not, or the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. He came to go after people where they were. And we think, well, salvation was when he gave his possessions away, whatever. I don't think that's what it is. What he said was, today, salvation has come to your house. And my question is, who came to his house? So what Jesus is saying is he is salvation. He is what changes and shapes and does it for us. I want you to consider, so I wanna close with the prayer. I've been writing these prayers out for a while. I wanna do this again tonight today as we close our time. But I want you to think of it this way. When Jesus called Zacchaeus by name, he was recognizing who he really was and what sin had done to corrupt that. I want you to think about your own life. Are there places where you've just given up because you think that you are worthless or because you think that you are so far removed that you could never be loved or never be returned? And when Jesus looks at you, he sees, oh no, no, I see your true identity and all this other mess is a corruption of who you've truly been created to be. Or perhaps 
you find a sense of comfort in keeping other people away. And you don't refer to them by name, but it's an issue, it's a label, it's a position. And whatever might be keeping people from Jesus, he's commissioned us to go and make sure they encounter Jesus. It is the love of Christ that compels us. And when we are loved by Christ, we are compelled to go and to see and to name and to include, to work to these areas, to help people struggle towards Jesus and his lordship and towards communion and unity. This is what Jesus does. And I want to tell you this before I pray. If you get this into, like if it seeps into your bones, you will never be afraid of any issue ever again. As a pastor, do you know how freeing that is? As someone who speaks public, that is, a, that is so freeing. To become, and it's a process, to become unafraid of anything that divides or separates. But rather, there's ways for us to enter into these things. But you have to first understand that Jesus actually changes everything. It is his love for you that compels you. Nothing else will have the power or be a sufficient uh, source to do it. So we're gonna close with a pastoral prayer for the other. And I've used this language very specifically because if we just said others, that's general and we can use generalizations to describe them, but the other is a person with a name and a story. Generalizations have to become personal and require for us, for you and for me, to enter into a relationship, to pursue a person behind all of these things. So here's the prayer. I want you to kind of relax, forget about Carolina Duke for a minute, what you're gonna say to me after the service. I'm not bitter. And just, just try and think for a moment what God's love in Christ has made available to you. Try to consider the reality that sin separates and provides space for all kinds of wicked things to seep into that space of separation, reshaping us and reforming us. And that God sees us as, he's as he intends for us to be. And he longs to return us to that. So the prayer will be on your screen if you want to read or if you want to bow your head and close your eyes, whatever you, whatever you want to do. This is how I want us to pray. Lord, the journey to love others begins as I love the other. Love isn't dependent on them, but rather is compelled by you. Your love for me compels me. Let me be so loved and let me be so moved. Lord, with the way you see me, frame the way I see the other. 
Lord, would the way you love me become the way I love the other? Lord, rid me of labels that allow safe distance and instead see the other with a name and a story. Lord, drive out my fear that I might somehow condone with the reality that your love has the power to transform. Lord, I offer this prayer for the other. I ask that you would hear. I ask that you would respond. I ask that I would hear. I ask that I would respond. And in your hearing and in your response, and in my hearing and my response, that the other would call you Lord because I was compelled by your love. Would you give me a name for the other I am praying for? Father, would you give us a vision that frees us from all the fears and familiar separations that we depend on so readily and so easily. And God, trust that what you have done in Christ is not only sufficient, but is the only sufficiency that we can depend on. Father, would you remind us in very gentle ways, areas where we do not ascribe lordship to Jesus' rule. Would you cause us as your people to more fully reflect who you really are and to allow us to see others the way you long for them to be. Give us compassion. Give us boldness. Compel us with your love. I left all of this in your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.